I'm Caleb, this is the Air of Grievances podcast. I'm not going to waste time with a long intro today because I have a very exciting interview for you. I talked to Barry Taylor today, I just got off the Skype interweb with him, and it blew my mind. They say don't meet your heroes, we're going to go ahead and prove the exception to the rule today because I met my hero, Barry Taylor, and it was amazing. If you have, by some long stretch of the imagination, not heard my initial episode of this podcast then you may be unaware of the fact that in the first episode I pulled some clips from Barry Taylor's sermon or talk, I'm not sure if you'd consider it a sermon, on Mark and the Transfiguration. We started out kind of talking about that and we went a lot of different directions and it blew my mind. It was amazing. It was great. Check it out. Here we go. I am Skyping Barry Taylor. I am Skyping Barry Taylor. Oh, fuck. Be cool, bro. Barry Taylor. Hey. How are you? I'm good. How are you, man? Good. Nice to meet you. Yeah, you too. I'm Caleb. Hey, Caleb. How's it going? It's going well, man. This is a trip for me right now. I'm not going to lie to you. You're, uh... <laughs> I, I, as I mentioned on, on Twitter, you, uh... You changed my life, man. Honestly. Really? Yeah, you did. You did. How so? That wake video that you did, um, oh. the the sermon. I don't know if you recall it, but it's it's that sermon that you ended with. There is no God, and we are His disciples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About the transfiguration. Yes, about Mark. Yeah. Um, yeah. And man, that, yeah. That, that that blew my mind. I I, I literally. I'm not going to lie to you. I watched that video like every couple of months or so, and it, it makes me tear up. And I just it just it hit me deep, man. Oh, I'm so glad. Well, thanks for that. It's great. It's good. <laughs> yeah. And you, you, Minneapolis, right? Yeah, in Minneapolis. I actually moved out here from Kentucky. That's uh, where I, I was born and raised, like in the Bible Belt of uh, the okay. South. Yeah, and uh, so I was, you know, in a very, very fundamentalist kind of environment, very Calvinist. Yeah. And uh, and then yeah, I actually moved out to Minneapolis to meet up with Jay Baker to try to uh, help him out with, with his podcast and stuff like that. And we've actually yeah. started a, a new podcast that's like a – it's the discussion that Revolution Church, his his church has yeah. after after the sermons. We, we, we have a group discussion. And sure. so I started recording that and, and producing it for him. So I'm kind of just out here doing podcasts. You haven't been there very long. No, only about six months or so. Uh, I've actually preached to – we call them talks. We don't really call them sermons, but – I've, I've preached two talks there, and uh, one of them was actually on Mark, and that was your 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 sermon really influenced kind of my perspective on uh, on how to read scripture, I guess. Oh, that's um, interesting. Yeah, it's cool. And are you liking it in Minneapolis? It's not bad. Uh, the, the winters are something I'm not used to. Yeah, a bit brutal. Yeah, yeah. We had uh, two feet of snow mid-April, just like yeah. less, you know, about a month ago. So yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty. Intense. And whereabouts, uh, whereabouts in Minneapolis are you? I'm in. Uh, I'm about 15 minutes away from the city proper in uh, Golden Valley. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I went out with a girl there for a while who lived in St. Paul. So really? Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for a couple of years. So I spent way too much time in Minneapolis. <laughs> Were you here for the winter ever? I was there winter and the stupid summer where it's so humid. <laughs> I know, it's it's all humidity. There's no dry heat at all. Uh, and, and you know, I I mean, a I'm English, so the heat is not my favorite. <laughs> but sure. I've also lived in California for a long time, where right. at least it's not skanky. <laughs> yeah, skanky's the word for it. Yeah, you're yeah, in LA I'm, right now, right? No, I'm in London. Oh, you're in London. I didn't know. Okay. Yeah, I'm in my my mum uh, has got dementia, so uh, my brother's been kind of dealing with. You know, doing all the heavy lifting. Oh, that's so, rough. Uh, I, I've taken some time, and, I, and I'm here trying to work out what what my next moves are. It felt like it was time for a change. Sure, yeah. How long were you in LA? Oh, thirty years. Wow, thirty yeah, years. Yeah, I, I know a long time. Wow. In a transient city. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. Uh, how, but, uh, no, I like LA. Did is that when you met? Pete Rollins and and John Caputo and 
No, no. I met Pete. Um, I actually met Pete. Um, I think. I think it was Nashville of all places. Really? We both, oh wow! Yeah, okay. we were we were both at both speaking at the last major emerging church gathering. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. But, but um, it was well. I was in the I was in like a hotel lobby, and and he was in the hotel lobby, and we were both reading Zizek. Wow! And okay, that was about fifteen years ago, and at the time. That was the first person that I'd come across, like in those circles, mm. who, who was reading, like you know, continental philosophy and stuff. Wow. So we just stuck up a friendship. So we, we met there, but then you know, then the last three years he's lived in LA, so we we've hung out a lot. But yeah, we've we've been friends for you know, a good ten or twelve years. So cool, cool. Um, would you identify yourself as as like affiliating with uh, you know radical theology and pyrotheology and all that, or, or would you define yourself otherwise? Um, are you recording this already? By the way, I am. I, I should have told you. Oh no, no, I don't care. Doesn't matter. I was just, I, I just, I tried I to slip know. into it. Should <laughs> we start it or what? Doesn't matter. To me. Is that okay? Yeah, of course, it's totally fine. Oh okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, I wasn't out of any worry. I was just like, you know, I didn't know if that was when something does it that start? you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I, I mean, py- pyro theology. I mean, that's very much Pete's sort of little, um, I mean, I mean, not little, but that's his little idea. Sure. And um, I, I sort of understand where where he's coming from and that. I guess I, I would identify, if I was going to identify it in any realm, it would probably be the sort of radical theology realm. Although the funny thing is, is that um, how, I mean, I know that there's a, a radical theology Movement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The thing is, is that I, uh, um, I, I don't think I'm remembering remembering this incorrectly, but Pete and I and Kester Bruin, yeah, right, yeah, mm-hmm. were in uh, LA, and we were do and, and Kester had just written his book on um, pirates and uh, a mutiny, mm-hmm. and we were doing this uh, three way talk together. And while we were walking to the talk, we sort of said, so what is it we're doing? You know what I mean? That is wow. quite a and, it, and, we, and we sort of settled on this idea, oh, well, we're doing radical theology. That's not to say that we weren't aware of radical theology a, a, as a movement. But in, in, in some ways, we, we sort of drummed it up on the spot for, for this event just so it had <laughs> – so, so as because it was at a theological institution, so we thought we needed some kind of uh, <laughs> some kind of grid to operate on. But I, but I, but I do like. Um, I, I, I am a big fan of the this second wave of radical theology. You know, the sort of Caputo, Jeffrey Robbins, Mark Taylor kind of yeah. world world of things. So, if I'm going to identify anywhere, probably there. I mean, I, I think one of those people that's. I've swum in a lot of streams over, over over the years. You know, I was involved in that whole emerging church thing, but I never really thought of myself as um, an emerging church person. You know what I mean? It was yeah, just sure. people that I knew, and that's where the energy for interesting conversation was was going on. And I and I think um, radical theology for me is probably the the space that feels comfortable enough to keep a conversation going okay. about what religion may or may not mean, you know, in this century. Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> that was a great answer. Uh, <laughs> I, I can be a little long winded. Sorry. No, no man. Don't apologize. That was, yeah. Wow. That's a lot to chew on right there. Um, yeah. okay. Wow. Uh, would you, I'll just give you a little bit of perspective as to where I'm at right now. I, I identify as um, an agnostic Christian with atheistic tendencies, maybe, or you know, atheistic leanings, yeah, or suspicions, I guess. Um, but I'm comfortable yeah. there. I, I I really appreciate the mythology and the stories and the culture, I guess, of Christianity, yeah. at least conceptually, and it's what I was raised with. And so it's kind. Of, I can't really get away from that worldview because it is my family life and it is my cultural you know my yeah. friends that's how they they that's their terminology that's how they identify things yeah I, I mean i think 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think in some ways it, it's it's difficult in a, in a general sense. I mean, and I know people do ascribe to other sort of faith traditions. You know, they might be Buddhist or this or that or the other. But but there is a sense, at least for me, where the kind of Judeo-Christian narrative is it's it's one of the ghosts that if you to use caputo's term it's one of the ghosts that haunts western culture you know there's you know that cultural theorist uh mika bald you know do you know her no i don't know she's a dutch cultural theorist and 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 she uh said that one of the underpinnings she's the statement she made she said christianity is there and it may be a vapor trail but it's one of the Mm. It's one of the reasons, perhaps a prime reason, why we have the kind of world in Western civilization that we have. Yeah. So, wow. and I think it's why you know it's why it's so easy for some people to like see you know Christic symbolism in movies and stuff like that. We have the, the language of, of Judeo-Christian ideas, values, and ethics permeates Western culture in in in. Um, in a very uh, deep way. So, you know, so even, I mean, even atheism is a reaction against, uh, against Christian theism. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it, it runs, it runs deep, all that stuff. uh, You're kind of identifying with a negative in atheism. You're, you're identifying and saying, I'm not this thing. You're not saying, you're not affirming what you are necessarily. I forget who said it, but uh, I might, you know, every, Maybe I said it. I don't know who said it. Could <laughs> no, you never know. We'll say it so was I'm, you. Oh, no. I, I won't, I'll say it wasn't me, but if it's really good. <laughs> but I think every every kind of um, – every form of atheism ha- has a trace of the religion that it negates. Mm, yeah. You know, it's a reaction against or a refutation or an argument over uh, against it, which is why, you know, I think that's why – sort of Caputo, for instance, says that the whole theism, atheism conversation is kind of boring because basically they're, they're sort of two people arguing over uh, sort of metaphysics from different ends of the spectrum. But, but yeah. you know, but in a sense, they're both believing and not believing in the, in the, <laughs> same, in the same notion. You, yeah, you know, that's good. Yeah. Well, it gets, it gets a little, um, you know, it gets a little complicated these days. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, the whole God thing is is complicated. So I totally understand your agnostic, atheistic, Christian leanings. Okay, I appreciate that. <laughs> I think I, I think it, it's. I think actually, you're not alone there. I think a lot of people are are in that space. They may not name it that way, um, mm-hmm. but uh, um, they they definitely. I, I was I was talking yesterday. Uh, I'm actually uh, helping a friend who's got this um, little kind of online institute thing going. And, and so I was, I've been helping him teach a class. And um, a couple of the people in it um, are sort of denominational leaders, you know. And, and, oh, and wow. one, of them, one of them who's a bishop sort of said, you know, I, I have a lot of people who are now preaching what they no longer believe in. Yes. Cause they, because they don't know what else to do. And, um, and you know, uh, uh, some people would roll their eyes at that and go, well, why would you do that? Well, you know, I think, uh, I think more people do that than, uh, than don't to be, to be quite yeah. honest. What do you think is the motivator there? Is it like a financial thing to where the, they're like locked into that as a way to support their family? I think it's, I think it's lots of things. I mean, the one thing I've, I, I've, I've sort of, um, come to terms with is this stuff runs really deep and just because you decide or you feel the need to move forward or, or move in different directions in life doesn't mean that stuff just goes away no. it hangs around for, it hangs around for a, a, a long time and it and and it seems to be quite embedded in the psyche and and, and i think when you're um particularly in um maybe like one of the liturgical traditions where you're sort of rooted in this kind of cyclical 
relationship with your religion that's sort of bounded by books of prayer and mm-hmm. you know lectionaries and, and and things like that that um to to sort of shift those cycles is is quite complicated and and i think the reasons that people do there are always layered reasons why we do what we do and half the time we don't even know why we do what we do <laughs> yeah <laughs> We could get all Freudian on that and talk about, you know, pleasure principles and death drives. But, 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 you know, um, I have great compassion for people who are, you know, cause some people go, Oh, well, if you're just in it for the money, you should get out. Well, you know, sure. But we live in the tyranny of, um, consumer capitalist society where everybody has a kind of precarious existence these days, you know, a month or two away from you know, begging in the street, yeah. you, you know, yeah. And, and I'm not saying that, you know, you, you don't have to reach a point where you, you have to make tough choices about what you will and won't compromise in terms of, you know, what you choose towards. But generally, I think people just do what they do until they find an, it's like it's one thing to let go of a rope when there's another rope swinging towards you. It's another thing to let go of a rope and free fall. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and I think a lot of people are afraid of the theological freefall because we've been schooled to think very linear about life. And uh, so we project, you know, into the future a sort of linearity. Mm-hmm. And life seems less than linear at the moment. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's kind of um, exponentially cyclical and uh, chaotic and um it's, it, I, I think it's difficult. So, um, I, I, I feel for people when they're working through, when they're working through this stuff. And I think it's great that people, you know, more and more people are, are actually beginning, I think, to, to work through this stuff. They may not come to the same conclusions, you know? Sure. Yeah. Some people, I mean, I, my theory is that the way it seems to work is particularly like amongst evangelicals, um, that when when that system starts to break down for them, they tend to make lateral moves towards uh, a, a liberal. They they go sideways. Mm-hmm. They stay in continuum. They just move to a more progressive social space. They don't necessarily adjust their theology that much, even though they think they have. But but it hasn't hasn't really adjusted very much. And I think my personal take is I, I think we've. Uh, well, we, I think much of the evangelical world has replaced um, doctrine with social justice and mm-hmm. has replaced doctrinal engagement with social justice and, and social justice is now the thing. And of course, far be it from me to say that social justice isn't important, but um, I, I, I think it's still not the the deep move that you probably need to make in order to get down to the issue of justice and not just social justice. Wow. So what is that move then? <laughs> I know shit. <laughs> so were you were you evangelical when you were initially uh when you were you in the rock and roll world, is that right? Or Yeah, I mean yeah, I start when 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 I got out of the rock and roll world, um, you know, I, I sort of got involved in, and and really, to be honest, most of my kind of church-based religious experience happened in America. Oh, wow. And, and, and so in, in the 80s, I sort of rode in, as many people did, on that post-Jesus movement, slightly charismatic, evangelical, largely conservative wave where people thought they were being really cool because they weren't mainline <laughs> churches. But, but really, it was a hotbed of legalism and uh and just really messed up underneath the surface yeah. because it you know it it, it it was kind of a strange dichotomy of trying to be hip but with a theology that was rooted in, in in a kind of different kind of piety that that constantly created these tensions you know built on what you shouldn't be doing wow which everybody was doing yeah but, you know, it was just, uh, you know, I, I, I think there was a really interesting um, 
thing that happened um, in the in the seventies and eighties with with pop, with the popularization of Christianity um, that really didn't forge any new theological horizons. I mean, if you think about the um, the beginnings of the Jesus movement, you know that whole Jesus thing started outside the church. Mm. I mean, it, it happened amongst the hippies, but he got domesticated by by churches, and, and what happened was their theological perspectives were handed over to uh, a, a sort of generation of, uh, of um, kids who were sort of into love and also apocalyptic in their own way because it was the era of the Vietnam War and the nuclear war and stuff. So it, it tied in really well with that kind of whatever it was, you know, millennialism. I can't remember, you know, whatever those, you know, <laughs> the old end time the end of the world stuff. That, right. that's in, uh, so um, I, I, I think the the theological underpinnings of all of that. Are, 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 I think there's. I think that's what's happening now for a lot of people. I think that those theological tropes are just playing out. They're wow. running out of steam, and people are coming to terms. That probably sounds really dismissive of like the last fifty years of Christianity. You know, I don't. I don't mean it that way, but I do think that um, the. One of the things about shifting theological ground is that people are coming to terms with thinking theologically for themselves mm. for the time in a in a, a generation or so. So how how was what was your personal biographical shift as far as maybe coming out of that post Jesus movement uh, in the eighties and then to where you're at right now? I'm just I'm just curious what that trail looks like between those two endpoints. Yeah, it's pretty fucked up. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not really. Um, it, it, it's 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 interesting because um, it, it it was really um, simply a case of um, coming to terms with and reconciling the tensions that I feel I felt inside with the guts to act on the outside. Oh wow. And, and so for me, I mean, that's a really sort of brief thing, but, but there were moments where, you know, for a long time I would be internally frustrated and feel that things weren't working for me or weren't right or this just doesn't jive, you, you know? Yeah, sure. But I wouldn't do much about it because I was a, a little bit, intimidated a little un, uncertain and usually uh, um the way i would eventually do it is with an act of self-destruction to get out of a, to get out of a scenario so that's been one of the devices which i wouldn't recommend but uh, <laughs> it's been, but it's been one of the things that that um in my, the the weakness of my makeup i i've used to get out of something that i feel i can't get out of any other way but i've learned over time to to because I didn't really, I wasn't really looking for religion in the first place. That, oh, that wow. was a, okay. it's a bit of a surprise to me. I was looking for um, a way to feel better about myself as a human being, mm. and more um, just I, I wanted to be a, a richer and deeper person. And it, it's it's too long to go into how how that wound up with Christianity. <laughs> But, but let's just say I got there and, and I started there. But, you know, you, you take on, um, especially in, in those formative years when you're around church, even as an adult, you, you presume that you don't know much. Sure. And you, t- you take in, you know, and you take in the language and the symbolism and the ideas. And it takes a while to go, well, wait a minute, that actually doesn't totally make sense. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, and then it depends on how much of it doesn't make sense to you, and then you have to decide what you're going to do about that, and what you, and, and then what you do about that um, makes demands of you because it usually means you know if a theological shift usually means that you wind up with some kind of social shift as well. You lose a few friends along the way. Absolutely, you come under scrutiny. Um, you feel insecure. Um, there's a lot of guilt that goes along with that, particularly in those early early things when you're shedding things that you know you've been told are really central and really key to the whole game yeah you know yeah but 
but but for me it was just um my my journey to being more honest with myself inside and out was paralleled by my desire to be honest with myself inside and out theologically oh wow yeah mm-hmm. so i just i i start it was i was about probably seven or eight years in and i was already involved like in leading churches and stuff like that and i started to move and basically i spent the last 22 years working out those first eight or nine years oh man who, who first influenced you t- to move? Was there was there a voice in your life, or was it just internal monologue? Or it, it was it was a little bit of um, it was a lot of things. I mean, uh, I'd always um, I'd always been into um, travel, and when and so when I got involved in uh, the church, you know, that sort of turned into a a desire to travel, which became missionary type. I see. Okay. Yeah. And I I did, I did quite a lot of stuff in uh, Russia. Oh, okay. I learned to speak Russian. I actually hosted a a big evangelistic television program in the Soviet Union. No way. You know, I'm going to YouTube that right after this. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it gets even better. It was for CBN. Oh wow! <laughs> Are it, was you the C- it was the CBN Europe. Oh my! No shit! Wow! Yeah, yeah. Totally shit! It was wild. And uh, <laughs> but anyway, in, in, in my trip, um, wait, I, I, I'm sorry. Was was this in Russian? Yeah. So it's you speaking Russian, doing an evangelical like local TV show. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. And I was, in, yeah, and it, and it happened while the whole Gorbachev revolution thing was happening. I was in Moscow when that whole thing went down. You, oh my god! And what technically it wasn't really an altar call, but the ending of the program where I did this sort of invitation thing was <laughs> was the night that everything went went batshit crazy in Red Square. Wow, that's unreal. I know, and I, I co-host. Yeah, I, I haven't really told this story very much. Um, I co-hosted it with this Russian news anchor, and uh, it was the program was called "What Are You Living For?" Okay, and um, you know, it had like testimonials and all that shit. You know, yeah. But it was kind of interesting because I got to talk to like um, Russian musicians and poets about okay. the meaning of life and, and, and things like that. And and actually, here's here's the funny thing. Um, it got millions upon millions of responses positive or or oh, on no, both? you have no idea it was like the biggest thing that happened uh <laughs> yeah it was crazy wow i should have, I, I should have been famous because of that but no. <laughs> yeah right well, oh, how would the that. russians pronounce your name barry <laughs> taylor off <laughs> i can't even remember now yeah comrade <laughs> comrade barry taylor off <laughs> So he's going to give us an altar call that he won't call an altar call. But, yeah, exactly. but anyway, um, so, but going on the, but, but, but I, but I sort of was impacted. Interestingly, I, I, I was impacted by, by a couple of things. Um, one, I, I'd always been fascinated with, um, Russia anyway, as, as a kid, I, like I grew up in a kind of left wing environment in, okay. in Britain working class family. And so Russia had always been a fascination and I'd always been interested in sort of communism and propaganda and all that kind of stuff. Okay. And the reason I even wound up going to Russia and I, and I went there before the wall came down and, and all that stuff was, oh. was because I, um, once I sort of got involved in the church, I was like, well, so what really did happen to religion there? You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. But moving around the world and going different places made me aware that there there were two things going on. One, there was this um, growing sense that uh, everything was... Like, I st- after this television program, um, I, I was involved in the planting of a couple of churches over there. And once the wall came down, you know, everybody and their dog was suddenly called to Russia. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it sure. was 
it was just this um, overlay of Western ideas with with kind of little regard for actually what was going on in the culture. Mm. So I just think, you know, I'd always I, I had these niggling questions, and it was a whole bunch of things that, that and they were very small things. Um, you know, there's that great quote from uh, Frederick Beekner about how he got sort of converted, where he's sitting in church and he'd heard this guy preaching. He was like a really famous preacher. And he'd gone for ages, and this guy had preached these amazing sermons, and he was completely unmoved. And one week he's sitting in there, and um, he, uh, the, the the preacher sort of made a throwaway comment, and it was that throwaway comment that changed Beekner's life. And Beekner said, on such tenuous, fragile, and holy threads as these hang the destiny of us all. Wow, just a little, just a little thing, and I've I found that for me it's usually a little thing that becomes the axis around which a big change comes because yeah. I respond, and I think that little thing is a culmination of lots of other things, but it sort of comes to this point and uh, you shift. So I've gone through, you know. Um, so that got, you know, I started to move and I just basically um, got braver and braver yeah. in terms it was, I, you know, externally probably not, but inside I just felt like I had less to lose each time. Yes. Even though there was a cost every time and, you know, some, and as I said, you know, there would quite often be heartache sometimes because I would make you know, dumb, do dumb things to make something happen because I didn't have the guts to do it. But, um, but uh, I, I, I just, I just realized that there was a lot of stuff going on that just didn't interest me, and, and, it, and it wasn't. And I, and, and I, in the beginning, I felt responsible for all of it. I need to have an opinion on this and an opinion on that, and this needs to be important to me. And I went, wait a minute, this this doesn't matter to me. I'm not interested in this. I don't care. I don't care about this. It's not, you know, what do I care about? And um, the thing, actually, one of the big, is this too long-winded? No, not at all. No. Uh, One of the big things is um, somebody gave me, when I was in, I was going through a sort of time of just really trying to, I was going through sort of quite a lot of, Frustration, and this friend of mine gave me a, a, a cassette tape. That's how long, and it wasn't because it was hip. <laughs> <laughs> that was the that was the technology of the post, hour. So post eight track, yeah, post eight track. You know, but um, and 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 uh, it was on. It was like on Christian leadership and and, and stuff. And uh, this guy um, said on this tape, he said that the task of the the Christian minister is to guard the great questions. Mm. And that was one of those little things because I heard that, and that's all I remember from 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 the tape. And that's because I, like many people, was immersed in a religion of answers to everything. Yes, yes. You know, you yes. want to know the answer? Go to the Bible. You know, Jesus Jesus has the goods on everything. And then I realized, well, actually, there's a lot of things Jesus doesn't have the goods on. No, no. Thanks to Jesus, but, but <laughs> sure. you know. Hey, Jesus, if you're listening, no offense, yeah. man. <laughs> never had to deal with AT&T, you know. I mean? <laughs> right. <laughs> or or, or a, a debit card, you know. Or, you know. Yeah, or being, you know, being a, a minority in the U.S., you know, or, sure. or being not cisgendered or, you know, whatever. Whatever it is. And, 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 uh, and, and I thought, well, okay, that's really interesting to me because I've got questions. I mean – I'm, I'm a questioner. I'm interested in life. I'm curious. So I, I do have, I question all the time. And, and so I sort of began this process and that was a big catalyst of like, well, what are the, what are the questions that I'm asking and how do I go about answering them? And, and that sort of narrowed the field down for me because I went, okay, so these are the, these are the great questions that, that I feel that I need to ask, you know, of myself, of the world, and of the religion that I'm involved in. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where I started. Like, what's this deal between me and this thing? And, you know, is this going to play? You know, because a lot of my friends had all walked away in frustration or, you know, boredom or just burnt out, you know, because they just wanted to live 
a freer existence, you know, which was in most people's, in the church's mind, oh, they just wanted to be able to sin a little more freely, you know, whereas that really wasn't the case. They just wanted to live, you you know. So um, it's really that that's driven. And and the fact that I've always had a porous um, edge to my life. I've always moved in lots of different circles, uh, I'm not afraid of difference. I like it. In fact, when things are all too similar, which was one of the problems that I found with Christian, it was nothing worse than like, you know, traveling around the other side of the world and you show up at some church and they're singing a song that you sang in your own church before. And it's like, well, how come we don't have our own songs? You know, oh, you know wow, and, yeah. what's this yeah. generic thing that's going on? Like it's, it's like McDonald's, mm. you know, where it's prepackaged and, you, everybody sings the same songs and it's like, oh, so we can be united. And it's like, so we can only be united around like, you know, a garage band version of, <laughs> you know, cause that's really, you know, that's really, yeah. so well, things like that. But, um, I, I just took those questions and, and just went, I'm going to work, I'm just going to work through these and I'm going to live with the answers that I come up with. And I'm figuring that those answers will probably be, uh, mobile and transitional uh, along the way which is kind of how i sort of wound up where i am yeah today which is with a fairly i guess deconstructed view of things um the funny thing is is that i'm no less interested in in what's going on in the event of christianity but okay. my you know, my take on it's very different and uh where where i think that leads is also probably different. Do you still affiliate with like Christian circles and communities or have you just kind of, uh, like why do you, cause when I saw that sermon or I don't know if you consider it a sermon, but, but that talk that you gave at wake, it was like this guy understands, but in my mind, this is how I reacted was this guy understands the culture and, uh, construct and economy of Christianity, but has, I don't know, surpassed it or or come to a place where he's not scared to dissect it. But he's still, for some reason, standing behind a pulpit, reading from a Bible and talking sure. to people who would probably identify themselves as Christians. And so I was just, in my, in my head, I'm like, why, why is he choosing to take time out of his life to go and talk to Christians from the Bible right now? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it, well, I ask myself that most of the time. But... <laughs> But, but I think it's because um, it's, it's two things. Um, I, I, I think these are really interesting times for religion anyway, um, just in general. I mean, we live in a, in, a, in, a, in a time when one of the perhaps one of the big surprises to a lot of people is the, the presence of religion in various forms. You know, a lot of it, unfortunately, you know, fundamentalist. Yes, yes. But nonetheless, you know, um, I, I, I don't think you can honestly say that even in the West, there's uh, like a lot of people live with this illusion that we live in this like completely secularized, religion free society. Right, yeah. It's abandoned all, all notions. And um, I, I, I think of the whole time I've been alive, this is the time where that's least true. Wow. Um, oh, wow. Okay. I, I think that, um, the interest and, and, you know, it, that doesn't, doesn't mean it, it, it reflects in tr- traditional or normative ways. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, 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 it's a big, it's a big umbrella, you know, and it runs the whole gamut from sort of vague, vague kind of spirituality to, to, you know, religious fundamentalism and everything in between. But nonetheless, I, I, I think people are trying to come to terms with um, the extra biological dynamic of what it means to be human, you know, whether they tie that to some supernatural notion, but materialism seems to be infused with some sense of, um, well, there's a bit more to life that we don't understand. And, and anyway, so, so, um, 
on, on that level, um, I, I remain interested. I also um, think that uh, there's there's stuff to be said about Christianity within the framework of Christianity. Mm. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, you know, not everybody wants to hear, and, I'm, and I don't really consider myself, in spite of my sparkling evangelistic career in Russia, I don't, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't really view myself as, as a, a, an evangelist, so I don't have an axe to grind. But um, I, I, I think there there are enough spaces to have conversations about this stuff where you can actually offer up maybe some other ways of thinking about, about all of this. And that interests me. Um, it interests me personally, but you know, I, again, I lived in Los Angeles for a long time and was always involved in some kind of community, you know, however deconstructed. And so, um, and what I found is, is that sometimes, well, it's a bit like, you know, um, Pete at Wake. I mean, you'd be surprised at how conservative and evangelical a lot of the people are that show up. Really? I mean, I think part of it is they don't really know what Pete's saying. <laughs> he does um, talk in circles. <laughs> I, don't mean that I don't mean that in a bad way. But no, of I, course. I, I'm not sure sometimes if people don't think that a lot of radical theology talk is just, oh, how to make your church a little cooler. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh-huh. But, but, um, I, I, because, you know, there's that in, have you ever, do you read, do you read much philosophy that I don't mean that meanly? No, no. Yeah. I've, uh, I took a couple of college courses on philosophy and had to read specific like ep- excerpts from books and stuff. But, uh, well, there's this, there's a, a um, a, an interesting philosopher, Julia Kristeva, and, and she wrote this book called um, The Incredible Need to Believe. Okay. It's a little book, um, but belies its size. And in, in that book, she, she says that there's a particular um, paradox for um, religion in, in the 21st century. And she said that, that there, people live caught between the need to believe and the desire to know. And she said the need to believe is essentially the quest for ultimate meaning that's always haunted humanity from the dawn of time. You know, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be alive? What does it mean? What happens when you die? You know, the, the big, big philosophical questions, I guess. That, that religion has uh, taken a lot of responsibility to answer uh, over, the, o- over the centuries. And she said that you have that, she said, but in in our world, that's tempered by what she calls the desire to know. And she said the desire to know is the product of living in the modern world that's shaped and guided by scientific rationalism and empiricism. So every time you um, answer a question sort of in a mythic way, the scientific response that sometimes argues against that is also in the back of your mind. So oh wow, every, yeah. Everybody, even the most fervent theist, is probably an atheist at least once a day. Abs- oh yeah, absolutely. Hell yeah. So, do you mm-hmm. know? And, and 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 she sort of says that that, that that's a, a, a tension of um, life for the religious person in the, in the twenty first century. And you know, there's another thing that's picked up by Charles Taylor in his book, The Secular Age. You know, he says, you know. 500 years ago, it was hard for anyone not to believe in God. Right. And it's difficult for people to believe in God. And that's a huge shift. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so it has, you know, so we live in, in all of these tensions. So what I find is, because I don't, I I don't sort of stand up and go, Oh, I'm into radical theology. So I'm going to fuck up everything you think right now. Yeah. Um, (laughs) No, I, I just try and, um, talk honestly and openly out of the space that I'm in and say, this is where, this is where I'm at. If that resonates with you, that's kind of cool. And maybe you'll find this helpful. And if you don't, well, sorry, I wasted your time. Yeah, right. uh, But, but, um, so I, you know, so I don't know. Um, I mean, having said that, I, I must say that in the last like seven or eight years, 
I haven't really spent time in like church environments that like church environments. I was part of a, a thing that I, that I started with some friends in Los Angeles, but we all, we met in a church, but it wasn't church. Yeah. <laughs> you know, some, it was, it was a conversation about life and we called it Sunday service just to mess with people. <laughs> and actually it was very um, straightforward. There was music and there was a talk and there was food but the music was never church music and the talk would might be about religion, but it might not be. Yeah. You know, so it was more about life with religion threaded into the conversation. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, um, it, and, and it was kind of an experiment of going, well, you know, you don't have to just do this thing actually. You know, nobody said that you have to, you don't have to come together at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah. You can come together, but you can come together at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning and, and talk about anything else. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so I, I, but, but I also, you know, I've traveled around and spoken at places, you know, so, but, but more and more like a little distanced from it, but you know, I've been teaching at a theological seminary the whole time. So yeah, pretty 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 embedded on on other levels in, right, in that right. world. and also i i think sometimes it, it's good to stay aware mm. and aware to, to what's to what's going on yeah. even though it gets depressing when you just in the same stuff over and over and you go oh God, that's still going around yeah <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable it's unbelievable it is what, 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 you know, I guess this is what happens when you when you've been on the planet for a while is um, you know you start to not only hear the same ideas, you start to hear the same phrases, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Things explained in exactly the same way. And then yeah, you go, especially in conservative culture. Well, maybe on both sides, honestly. Yeah. No. I th- yeah. I'd be quite. I, I spent a bit of time in liberal circles as well. They're just as guilty. Sure. They, they just they just say it differently. You know. They're, they're they're a bit more politically correct. I agree, but, yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, but everybody's you know got their thing, um, and it's a reminder to me. That's a reminder that um, if if you're hearing the same thing and you're hearing essentially the same slogans, what that usually means is no one's doing much thinking. Yeah, it's stale, it's dried out, and and you know so like when when I sort of teach theology, I, I always say to the students, it doesn't matter to me where you position yourself on the spectrum. Okay. You know, we're okay. all going to come from different places and we're all going to have to um, work out, you know, where where we feel comfortable or whatever. But I, I do want to challenge you to know why you think that and to think that for yourself, not just because you were told to think that or because you think that's the right thing to think, but to undo it and to examine it and then if you put it back together and you arrive at the same place, fair enough. But at least you'll know why you think that. And it won't be because, well, the Bible says or, you know, my tradition holds that. You know, I, I, I think that's not enough. Yeah. It's not enough to say that. It's not enough to blithely accept things and go, well, you know, this is what I was taught and it's, you know, it's true. Well, I never questioned why, it, yeah. Yeah. It's never been interrogated, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You have to interrogate your own theological grid before you should even lift your head up above the ramparts to talk mm. about anything else. Wow, are you familiar with uh, with Rupert Sheldrake at all? Yeah, interesting yeah. guy. He's an interesting guy for sure. I don't know about his uh, his science necessarily, or you know his uh, the physical side of things, but as far as his person personal relationship with with religion goes, and he identifies as an anatheistic Christian. Yeah, which I think is a term. I'm not really sure where he came up with that term, but I, it's it's kind of interesting. Yes, yeah, that's um, Richard Kearney. Oh, okay. Do you know Richard Kearney? No, I don't. That's a book you should read. Actually, he has a book called Anatheism. Oh, okay. Wow, cool. And he also has another book called The God Who May Be. Ooh, I like that. That sounds like Tillich almost, like some. Yeah, he's a bit. You know, he's he's sort of. Um, him and uh, Caputo are quite good friends. Okay. And um, he probably has, you know, 
Jack's got that perhaps thing. Oh yeah. Tyranny's got the perhaps with a bit, uh, probably with a little more, you know, perhaps yes rather than perhaps no. Oh, interesting. Okay. Because I feel like Caputo is kind of really writing that line very finely. Yeah, I think he is. I mean, you know, Jack's really interesting because, you know, when you scrape away the surface, he's just a nice Catholic boy. Yeah. (laughs) You know know what I mean? So so he's got that Catholic thing that, that holds him to some degree, you know, and, and Kearney, I think might be Catholic as well. So, um, they, they, they have a different kind of sacramental thing, but he might be a little more, um, so he might be a little more into, uh, theism than Jack might be, but you know. Okay. So as, as a, you know, a a professor and a teacher of theology, which I would suppose would kind of, um, infer that you, you're, easily identified as a theologian. I don't know if you would call yourself a theologian or not, but if I had a professor in theology, I would call him a theologian. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, so, I guess this is really blunt, but I don't know how else to phrase it, but in in your mind, is there a God as an entity or as a substance or as a a virtual reality, to borrow another another Pete term? Uh, Well, I'm going to I'm going to quote you uh, my favorite theologian, okay. uh, Nick, Nick Cave. <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> who who, who um, said, I don't believe in an interventionist God. Okay. So, no, I, I mean, I, I think what, what's interesting for me is going all the way back to, um, you know, where, where I told you I heard that tape, you know, about guarding the great questions yes. and sort of working out what, interests you is and this may sound crazy okay but, I like it but the whole the whole god question yeah was never a big thing for me i was never and and again my 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 encounter with my encounter with the bible and with jesus occurred outside the church and didn't involve uh, an experience of God. Okay. I was told, I was told when I got involved in the church that's what had happened because mm. you know the language of conversion. This is what happened to you. You know the realizations that I had about my life and stuff were were, were given religious language. Yeah, and I'm like, like dictated oh. to you almost. Yeah, you know, it's like, well, that's what happened to you. And, and, you know, you need to understand that and you need to recognize, like, you know. Jesus came into your heart. (laughs) He lives there. Well, somebody said to me, what, so you haven't, you haven't repented of your sins? And I was like, well, what do you mean? Yeah. That's not modern vocabulary at all. and, 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 and and, And it wasn't something that I came across when I was reading it by my, you know. So anyway, um, so you take on. Obviously, it's religion, so therefore it must be about God. And so, again, like everybody else, I was like, oh, okay, we're going to be talking about God then. You know, God this, God that, God the other. But really, when it came right down to it, um, I realized that the the existence or non-existence of God wasn't really a big driving force for me. And so, which which sort of – and that came in, in many ways from – going back to the Gospels, you know, and, and my sort of love affair and fascination with the Gospel of Mark, in which God is not very present. Yeah. I mean, part of that thing, that talk that I gave uh, at that first wake, I think it was the first or second wake, whenever that was, was this, you know, idea that by the time you get to the midway point in Mark's Gospel, it's the last time you ever hear from God. Yeah. You called it an, ex- an exit strategy. Like God yeah. only appears twice, and the second time He appears, He pretty much says the same thing He said the first time. This is my son; He's in yeah. a cloud, right. and then you know He disappears, yeah. and, and then never, never heard from again. Now I, I, I realize you know that that's a very sort of broad generalization of things, but 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 I but I don't think that uh, the theistic or, or the supernatural view of the divine is um, vital. I, I think it's quite possible 
to explore um, the sacred or the holy without a, the notion of metaphysical being. I know for some people that's really difficult to get their heads around. Oh, that's good, man. <laughs> that's amazing. But but um, I, I, I you know because again you know Nick <laughs> I'm going to quote Nick Cave again. This is, <laughs> Nick, Nick Cave said um, in, in a lecture that he gave, actually, that the, the words are the blankets that we throw on the invisible to give them shape. Oh, oh man. So, so God, it, it, it's a word blanket, right? And, and the idea of God, which is used in many cultures. You know, it's not a generic word. It's a very specific word in, in, in different cultures. But, you know, we, it, particularly in English, we, we, we tend to be very utilitarian with our language. So, yes. God, you know, so we have, we have a, a, a contextual and culturally shaped notion of what that word, that word means. You know, and a blanket we throw, and for a lot of people, they throw that blanket, and the invisible thing that comes to life that comes into appearance is this kind of uh metaphysical supernatural being that's kind of human because they talk about you know having hands and eyes that see and all that kind of stuff yeah. but we but we know it's also otherness but we don't know what it is you know so we throw that blanket well i was just like well maybe maybe i don't know what's under that blanket Maybe there's nothing under that blanket. Maybe God, like Jack says, is is a name for the event. Yes, right, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe it, it, it goes to the fact that, and, and, and I think this is partly because I, I, I think it's quite, dif it's difficult for me in, uh, in the world that I've been in to really live with a kind of medieval notion of, some being and, and i think that's kind of um how how i how i view it that it's a, a particular way of looking at something that doesn't necessarily need to be seen that way anymore <laughs> oh man wow but but i realized that you know for a lot of people that that sounds wrong heretical horrible <laughs> yeah horrible, tragic you know but but again I, it's like well this is what I think. I could be wrong. Sure. Yeah. But, um, and I might change my mind. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> and, and I don't know, you know, you kind of go, well, I don't, I don't know that I could change my mind about that, but, but why, why couldn't I, you know, you, you know what I mean? So, yeah, of course. so I, so I don't know. I, I sort of don't even think of myself as, um, atheistic. I just don't think about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you wow, know and, that's perfect and uh but i remain interested in the dynamic because i'm interested in really when it when you scrape this up like one of the big differences probably between like someone like pete and i is you know pete is uh a philosopher first and then probably a theologian second yeah sure mm-hmm I think that I'm um, probably um, a cultural theologian with philosophy second. Mm, cultural theologian. Yeah, because I because for me, um, I I think the theology that I do happens in the cultural environments in which I find myself. Wow. So for me, I'm looking for you know there's this uh, I, I there's this uh, French deconstructionist poet Michel de Guy. Okay. Uh, sorry, I keep throwing out all these. No, stuff. no, no. When you said uh, French deconstructionist, obviously I thought Jacques Derrida, but I was way off. You know, this is a, this guy's an influence on Derrida. Okay. Uh, his name is Michel de Guy. Okay. Um, he he has this book called A Man of Little Faith, which is about his conversions out of religion. Okay. It's interesting. Um, and uh, one of the things that he he advocates in there is he he says that you have to make revelation out of profanation. Mm. Revelation comes out of the profane. Wow. So, oh. which was which was something that that I I've been sort of 
doing for a while, even when I was in more in more formative more formatively thinking in doing sort of cultural exegesis and stuff because I wasn't you know I d- I've done a lot of stuff you know theology in the arts and theology and music and film and all those kind of things but I've never been trying to um, uh, exegete God out of that I've been trying to say what's going on here that you can hang theological hats on wow okay okay and, and Mark Taylor who's my favorite theologian um, Mark C. Taylor he says that um, religion is the most interesting where it's the least obvious. Okay. Wow. All right. And, and so, I, 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 so I think, you know, I've operated for a long time um, with the notion that just because people don't act in a religious way doesn't mean that religion is not a part of the fabric of their, their, their life. Yeah. You know, that, that, that we, again, we throw a blanket, we use the word, we throw a blanket, and it means a whole set of criteria. To be religious means this, which is why even, uh, I mean, a, a, a kind of lighthearted example of that is, you know, the diff- when people say, I'm spiritual but not religious. Yeah, yeah, right. They, they, they're just trying to throw a different blanket yeah. over a set of ideas to separate and go, no, 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 I don't mean that, which now usually means, you know, dogmatic fundamentalist, you know, um, judgmental perhaps, or hit, hit, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. tradition, organized, whatever, um, or institutional, but they're still throwing a blanket. They're still throwing a blanket over something and, and trying to say, there's a shape here that I'm, that I'm getting at. And of course, a religious person goes, well, there is no difference between the two, you know, but in our day, in our time, there, there is, there's a distinction. Those, those, those words have become, they used to be the same blanket, you know, somebody that was religious, they were spiritual and vice versa. Right. But now they've become culturally separated as words and they mean different things. They're umbrella terms, I don't think they mean specific things because I think they mean different things to lots of people, but they're umbrellas under which people gather. So I'm interested in um, how the, when the sacred collapses into the profane, how uh, things are, how and what gets revealed. Oh man! Wow. Sorry, that's a lot. <laughs> it's it's a lot, but I, I love it though. It's it's a it's a positive uh, overload for my brain. Sorry, yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's positive. I'm, I'm sitting around by myself all day. So <laughs> please, man, you're you are blowing my mind in the most orgasmic way right now so that's a good thing that's <laughs> a good thing uh can we take a break from the heavy shit and can i ask you just some silly questions yeah please do <laughs> okay <laughs> um so cbn the Christian Broadcast Network produced the first Christian program from the West to be aired regularly on Soviet Central Television in Moscow, according to CBN spokesperson Suzanne Norman. Approximately 30 million people viewed Superbook Party, an animated Bible show for children, when it aired this past November. We did a very culturally Russian type of show, Norman said. CBN used Soviet directors, translators, and producers for the hour-long special. The network is running What Are You Living For? A Christian program for teens during the month of December, Roman said. The show will be hosted by Barry Taylor, formerly the sound engineer for rock band ACDC. The network has already received 600... And 50,000 letters from viewers. Back to you, Marsha.
production.